0: Well, as we continue in our series, Brimming Buckets, I invite all of us to read aloud together our passage from Colossians, which you should find on the screen. Again, it's from Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read up to our current verse today. So let's read aloud together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. It seems to be a fact of life that there are just some people who grate on our nerves. We all have those people, right? Maybe a sibling or a co worker or a neighbor. Or dare I say, a fellow church member, someone with whom we don't see eye to eye and with whom we seem to never be able to get along. And as much as we would like to think that this is a problem easily solved, it rarely seems to be the case. Some relationships become damaged through a conflict or an inability to reconcile differences, only to never be repaired leaving two or more parties with, at best, an awkward and tense relationship perhaps for decades, and at worst, bitter and angry interactions for years to come. Perhaps you can think of a person or two in your own life who fit this description. What is it that makes it so difficult sometimes To bear with each other, as Colossians says, or to show forbearance with one another. Whether it's because someone wronged us, we can't seem to let it go, or the vice of another person causes us to think of ourselves as better than them. Or maybe simply just a particular character trait in someone else annoys us so much to the point of frustration. Why is it that we can so easily allow these things to keep us from loving one another well? Well, in the book of Acts, in chapter nine, we read the story of Saul's conversion, though perhaps he isn't the only one who experiences a conversion. We've heard of this man, Saul. Starting in Acts nine, verse one, we read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now the first thing that will want to understand about this is that it was well over 100 miles from Jerusalem down to Damascus. And so it's no stretch to say that Saul was willing to go well out of his way to persecute and imprison these followers of Jesus. We don't know exactly why Saul was so persistent in tracking them down, but he clearly seems to have some sort of grudge against them against these blasphemers in his mind. And as we read right before this story, when Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus, was stoned to death, Saul was right there, encouraging the ones throwing the stones. There are no two ways about it. Saul was a bully, and the worst possible kind. He's the kind of caricature of a bully that we see in those 1980s movies that I love to watch, like Biff from Back to the Future, or Johnny Lawrence from The Karate Kid. He's one of those villains that we just love to hate, so misguided and blinded by his own arrogance and violence that it would seem we are fully justified in thinking of ourselves as better than him. We see a man like this, and we just can't wait for him to get what's coming to him. So let's read on in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In one wild, mystical experience, Saul's spiritual blindness, his inability to see the new thing that God was doing in these followers of the way, was matched with physical blindness. And the reader, both The original followers of Jesus and us today perhaps celebrate a little bit, maybe silently, that this villain of a man was finally proven wrong. The bully finally got what was coming to him. And yet, you and I both know that there is a small part of us that also has compassion for Saul. Because if you've ever seen a bully or an enemy or just someone that you didn't like get punished for their actions, does it really make you feel any better? Do you really celebrate someone else's misfortune or do you just end up feeling a little bit more empty? As we thought over the last several weeks about this idea of filling up one another's buckets, we've encountered a few times the truth that In a paradoxical sort of way, when we fill another's bucket, by giving of ourselves, we fill our own buckets too. And when we take from another, when we ridicule or put down another person, when we celebrate the misfortune of another, when we distance ourselves from someone because certainly they are not worthy of our time, we empty our own buckets too. How much would we all love to be able to embrace those who are different from us, who we see as wrong or misguided, who grate on our nerves, but we just can't seem to bring ourselves to do it? That first step is just so hard, isn't it? I mentioned that there might be a second conversion in this story, which we read about in the next few verses. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered in the proper way, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go. Keep in mind, that's now two people in this story that were told to get up and go. Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name, myself included. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument for whom I I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. There's something else going on here. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And of course, if we read the rest of the story, we might know that Saul becomes Paul. He gets a new name, as people often do when they encounter God in a powerful way. And he becomes the one through whom God's good news would spread like wildfire. But it seems that he might not have gotten there without Ananias. What I love about Ananias in this story is how relatable he is. He hears this voice, this voice that tells him to go straight to the, to the person he has no desire to see, and he questions it. Have you ever found yourself feeling something like that, questioning something that you think God might be calling you to, but I don't want to go to that person, sounds too challenging he says you know I think I've heard of that man Saul and I'm pretty sure if I go to him I'll end up at best in prison and at worst like my brother Stephen who was just killed he writes off Saul immediately and he has good reason to doesn't he for Ananias he was just fine thank you Their community of disciples was just fine, thank you, and they had no need for someone like that guy. Though they faced some hard times, their community was something special. And Ananias and the others certainly didn't need Saul messing that up. But as we often find, God had something else in mind. There's a wonderful book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together, where he writes about the nature of Christian community, of fellowship among followers of Jesus. And in one part, he writes the following. Here are these beautiful words. He says, on innumerable occasions, a whole Christian community has been shattered because it has lived on the basis of a wishful image. Certainly serious Christians who are put in a community for the first time will often bring with them a very definite image of what Christian communal life should be. And they'll be anxious to see it happen. But God's grace quickly frustrates all such dreams. Only that community which entered into the experience of this great disillusionment with all its unpleasant and evil appearances, begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. And hear these last words. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself, meaning the people who were a part of it, they become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Bonhoeffer's claim is that we too often can fall in love with the ideal rather than the reality. That We can allow ourselves to think that there's some magical version out there of Christian community where we don't argue or have differences or conflict or just plain not like each other sometimes. And in doing so, we can easily forget to love the person right in front of us. I'm guilty of this, too. We can forget that the Christian community, we could extend that to any form of human community, is made up of flawed and broken people, including you and me. And when Jesus calls us to love one another as we love ourselves, to treat one another as we would want to be treated, he calls us to do this in the midst of those differences and annoyances and even dangers like the one Ananias faced. If we think that we can wait to love one another until we've gotten over our differences, we'll be waiting for a very, very long time. I love what Ananias says when he first enters that room, where he must have been shaking and quivering with fear. He musters up some courage. He walks right in. He looks at this man who had been part of murdering a friend of his. And he says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. This man, Saul, who had so many flaws so much brokenness, who had made so many mistakes, and who Ananias, by any conventional standard, had every reason to stay away from. He looks at him, and he calls him his brother. I came across a wonderful parable this week that I've shared a couple times, and so some of you may be hearing this for the third time, but I love it. It says, One day... I saw something in the distance. Moving ahead, I thought it was an animal. I went closer, and I realized it was a man. He came closer, and I realized that it was my brother. How often do we deprive ourselves of the experience of real connection with a potential brother or sister? Simply because... We only see them from a distance, through the lens of labels or categories or faults or frustrations. Maybe, maybe at the root of it for us is fear. In the same way that Ananias was afraid of Saul, of what he had done to people like him, of what he could do to him. Perhaps we keep our distance from people who we don't want to put up with because at the heart of it, we're actually afraid. Maybe we're afraid of what they might do to us. Maybe we're afraid that their flaws will put a mirror up to us to highlight our own flaws, show us that we're not perfect either. Maybe we're afraid of those with whom we disagree because we might just find some time They're actually right, and we're wrong. This story of Ananias shows us that we have a God who will remove fear, and instead will redeem and heal and restore and show us that there is nothing to be afraid of, that we actually might in the end see scales fall from our own eyes, like Ananias, in a way, as we awaken to a new idea of what God could be up to in our midst, and perhaps as we reacquaint ourselves with someone we might now call a brother or a sister. I wonder, though I don't know, but I wonder if years later, Ananias might find himself with other followers of Jesus as they told this story to one another of Saul's amazing conversion, of how God's grace had transformed his life and how the good news was spreading at such a rapid rate because of this man who used to imprison and persecute them. And I wonder if Ananias might have smiled, maybe puffed out his chest a little bit, and said, that was me. I was a part of that story. Perhaps he would then tell his side of the story of how he was afraid of this persecutor of the church, but how he then took a leap of faith, mustered up all the courage he had and decided to follow God towards Saul, toward this man whom in his his own mind he had no reason to put up with, to bear with, and every reason to walk away from. I imagine he might have then shared his utter astonishment at watching a miracle happen, as the scales fell from Saul's eyes and his own eyes were opened anew. And perhaps Ananias would then tell his brothers and sisters, don't write people off too quickly. Don't push them aside. Let go of your fear the best you're able or your anger towards someone and maybe let go of self-righteousness Pride, thinking that you're better, you're not. All of those things that keep you from embracing someone who might need you in order to find healing. Perhaps he would say, indeed, I also found healing. Was cured of my own blindness to what God was doing in our midst. But I had to make a choice. A choice to grin and bear it. To say, I can sit in the same room with that person for a couple minutes, at least, and see what happens. Had Ananias chosen to stay where he was, to only recognize Saul from a distance, to label him as a monster, an animal, to ignore God's call, he would have missed out on the opportunity to meet this man as a brother. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a story like that? I know I would. Wouldn't you like to find yourself wrapped up in the redemptive work of God in the world? I'm not sure that we can do that if we aren't willing to go to the places and the relationships that need redemption and healing. So, this week, like Ananias, let's choose to embrace those around us that might be a little tough to love, that might be difficult to bear. Take a courageous step and see how God might surprise you. In our response time this morning, we share this table together. As Justin reminded us at the beginning of the service, there is this story, this wonderful story, where the disciples are on the road with Jesus, right in front of them, but they don't see him until they share this meal together. And I wonder... In this time where we break bread, where we take of the cup and we remember the brokenness that Jesus felt for those that he loved, I wonder if we might have our eyes open in a new way, if we're willing. Shall we see what God does in our hearts together?